I am uh, I'm really thankful for Lynn's intro and reminding me that I got struck out by a 15-year-old. Is that right? <laughs> Whatever it is. 14 makes it sound worse, so let's leave that alone. But, uh, you know, if they let the worship pastor speak, I am, I'm here today starting a campaign that our lead teaching pastor, Justin, and our teaching pastor, Daniel, and Lynn should form like a boy band and lead us in a song that could be called Rascals Very Flat or something like that. Yeah. So, challenges out, Daniel and Lynn, that's out for y'all. Y'all should lead us in a song. But seriously, I'm very, very thankful for this opportunity uh, to speak today. This is something that maybe I get to do five times a year. And so uh, I was blessed to work with Justin in preparing this message. The last few weeks, you know that we have been looking at the core values of the fellowship. And the first week, our core value is we treat everyone as insiders. Basically, we value everyone. We believe God has a plan for them. And we want them to be in this place worshiping with us. Then last week, we talked about being a Bible-centered church, that the Bible is our true north, our plumb line. It is the final inerrant authority in our lives. And in the Bible, the, the scriptures instruct us how to live as Jesus did, and that is what sets us up for today's core value. And it is this. We believe that genuine transformation starts with a relationship with Christ that includes a lifelong journey best shared with others. That's our core value, life-changing relationships. And today, we're going to take a look at the conversion of Saul and how his encounter with Christ was the beginning of a life-changing relationship for him. But I think it's really important for us to see where Saul was and how he had gotten there to fully grasp just how life-changing that encounter was. So I want you to look in Acts. We're going to be in Acts today. Uh, chapter 9 is where I'm going to start in verse 1. This, it says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. We're going to stop right there because we see that, that Saul is infuriated. And he's raging against Christians. So why? Why was he infuriated against Christians? I want to give you some fascinating background on Saul, who would later become the Apostle Paul. And it will kind of paint the picture for us as to why his encounter with Jesus was a life-changing moment for him. So he was born Saul of Tarsus into a respected family of Pharisees. He was a Jewish boy in a Gentile province. And he was bilingual at an early age. He could speak Hebrew and Greek. Now, I was bilingual at an early age. I spoke Texan and English. And that, that is, there, there is a difference if you've ever been to Texas, you know. Uh, Saul was taught that as the chosen people of God, Jews were superior to all others. And as noble Pharisee blood, he was taught that he was superior to other Jews. So in the Jewish standard, he had it all going for him. At age 13... He enters a time of learning called Bet Madrash, which translates house of study. And it's basically an apprenticeship. He goes through an intense interview and is taken in by the most esteemed Pharisee of the day, a guy named Gamaliel. Gamaliel is a member of the Sanhedrin, which is kind of the equivalent of the Supreme Court for us. And simply put, Gamaliel was the greatest Jewish intellectual of the time. Gamaliel takes Saul in because he recognizes that Saul is the best of the best 
and could one day take Gamaliel's job. He begins to mentor him. And so under Gamaliel, Saul receives the highest and most distinguished Jewish education, and he excelled. Now this part's fascinating. All Jewish children were expected to memorize the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, okay? So from ages five or six to 10, they entered a level of Jewish education called Bet Sefer, which translates house of book, and they would memorize literally the first five books of the Bible word for word. Now that sounds like a huge challenge to me. Can you imagine that? Five or six to 10 years old memorizing that. Now at 10 years old, many of the children would kind of wash out and go back to uh, begin to learn their family trade, but the best of the best would be invited to study at a level called Bet Talmud, which is house of learning, where they were required to memorize all historic, prophetic, and poetic books, thus the rest of the Old Testament. So a whole lot of memorization. Does that sound fun? Y'all want to memorize? How about five books? First one to do it, come see me, I'll give you a dollar, something like that, all right? <clears throat> They would also be taught the Jewish art of question and answers. They were taught to be curious of the scriptures, to answer questions with a question, showing both their knowledge of the scriptures and their regard for the scriptures. And you might remember that Jesus did the very same thing in the Gospels. So Saul accomplishes all of this and distances himself from his contemporaries. And in fact, he was aspiring to take his own seat on the Sanhedrin and to ultimately succeed his mentor, Gamaliel, who had become the head of the Sanhedrin by this time. But then something shifts, and it's a, it's a moment in Saul's life where God is starting to get his attention. If you jump back to Acts chapter 5, you'll see this is kind of where the wheels come off for Saul a bit. So the setting is that the apostles of Jesus led by Peter are imprisoned for making converts of Jesus by performing miracles and teaching in his name that Jesus was the Messiah. And a great thing about the story is these disciples keep getting arrested, but then they're miraculously set free from prison. And they are eventually caught, brought before the Sanhedrin to stand trial. And it is where in this trial that Gamaliel addresses the Sanhedrin. And we hear what he has to say in Acts chapter 5, Starting in verse 38 and 39, I want, to, I want you to see if you can catch what would be so earth-shattering to Saul. This is Gamaliel speaking, and he says, And now I say to you, keep away from these men, the disciples of Jesus, and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. Gamaliel then advises the Sanhedrin to penalize these disciples uh, of Jesus with a maximum permitted flogging by law. And he tells those disciples to never preach Jesus as the Messiah again. And then he lets them go. Now, did you catch it? Did you catch what Gamaliel said? If this plan is of God. Saul must have heard that and be thinking, wait, what? If this plan is of God, if these men are of God, think about it, it went against everything that Gamaliel had taught him up to that point. How could Gamaliel say this? You see, Saul knew that Jesus was killed for blasphemy, and now his disciples' message was wreaking havoc on his religion of Judaism. 
Judaism was what Saul had built his life on and his reputation. He had striven ahead of and been more zealous than any of his contemporaries to uphold that religion. And now he sits waiting for the next and final step to get to the Sanhedrin. And his mentor Gamaliel says, if. You see, Saul's crisis of belief starts right there. Everything his mentor had taught him, he believed, was right. And Gamaliel says, if they're of God. So Saul, shaken, wonders, have these followers of Jesus now poisoned you, my mentor, as well? Can you imagine his whole life built on it and then shook like that? And so you see that a rage that leads to ravaging and deadly persecution upon the church of Jesus is unleashed in Saul. And this is what led to Saul's persecution of the church. His relationship with his mentor and his mentor's teachings and even Saul's relationship to Judaism itself comes undone the moment Gamaliel says, if. Now Saul, if defined as anything, is always defined as zealous and passionate. But it's really important to note for us here today as we dive into this message that zeal and passion without grounding in healthy relationships can be erratic and lead to upheaval. And that is what Saul was facing as we pick up in Acts chapter 9. This background sets us up for Acts chapter 9. So I want you to turn there. We're going to read a little bit of a lengthy passage, but it's a great, great story, and it's going to get us to talking about life-changing relationships. Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand, and they brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise, and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles kings and the children of Israel. For I will show you how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, 
The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once. And he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. And then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem? And has come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Verse 31, the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Powerful passage great story. There's so much in it. I'll never get to all of it, but I want to make a couple of points today that, that tie to our core value, why we have the core value of life-changing relationship. And so number one, we value life-changing relationship with God. We value life-changing relationship with God. If you think about it, Saul of Tarsus was pursuing God as best as he knew prior to meeting Jesus. His religious system and those in it informed him that with each achievement, he became closer to God and really closer to ultimate peace. But his crisis of belief after Gamaliel's statement left him with anything but peace. And so maybe this morning, that's where you are. Maybe you're in a moment, a crisis of belief, and your life has been shaken by something that's happened and you're not sure where to turn. I have really good news for you today. Saul was in that same place, and Jesus called him by name. That's what he can do for you as well. You see, Saul's life changed suddenly through a miraculous appearance of Christ on the road. Now, imagine this. Most scholars think Saul was on a horse or some kind of animal, and Saul sees a light from heaven, and he falls to the ground. And then he hears Christ's voice, a voice filled with authority and judgment and grace and urgency. And did you notice what Jesus says to Saul first? He calls him by name, Saul, Saul, twice. Jesus knew Saul and he loved him in spite of his sin, in spite of his persecution. Saul responds, and I love his response because you can tell immediately that his life has changed. Saul says in verse 5, 
Who are you, Lord? He calls him Lord. It's a recognition of Christ's authority and immediately everything changes. And then Jesus answers him and says something that I found kind of interesting. I didn't know about it. I had to study it. Jesus answers him and challenges. He says how Saul has been fighting against the goads. Now, if you're like me, I didn't know what that meant. And I needed to look that up. And so translated, goads means to prick or to sting. And I, I can just imagine that this is the leadings of God. The interruptions. You remember we talked about that, the disruptions of life a few weeks ago at Easter. We talked about the disruptions that come. Those are goads. It's the leadings of the Lord. And they had recently popped up in Saul's life because he's now in a huge crisis of belief. Everything that he thought was right has been changed by his mentor's statement and now his encounter with Jesus on the road. Saul submits. Verse 6 says, trembling and astonished, he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And instantly, his upheaval and his rage are replaced with truth and peace that can only come from Jesus Christ. He submits to God and obeys him, goes where he tells him to as his life-changing relationship with Christ begins. Now, the physical effects that he had, they were devastating for a time. Think about it. Blind. He didn't eat for, or drink for three days. That's rough. But the spiritual effects on Saul's life would last a lifetime. And in fact, he tells us about that. He tells us how he sought peace in the world but he ultimately found it in Jesus. He tells us this in Philippians 3, starting in verse 7. Saul, who is now Paul, says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being comfort, conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Saul tells us everything that he learned as a child growing up, everything that he thought was important, he now counts it as lost because of Jesus. He had a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that life really begins with a divine encounter with Jesus Christ. And I want you to have that today. So we value life-changing relationship with God. We also value life-changing relationships with others. Got to have the relationship with God, but we believe that you got to have a relationship with others as well. And we can't ever underestimate the impact that our relationships with others can have in our lives. The truth is, if we don't have our relationship with Christ as the most important thing, then all our relationships with others are at best, they could be at best troublesome, and at worst, disastrous. You see, when Christ is first, the door is open to relationships with others that maybe we never imagined were possible. Look at Saul as an example. Saul placed a lot of faith in his relationship with Gamaliel. That was his guy. He was all in in that relationship to his mentor. And then when that faith is shaken, it broke him free from his utter dependence on Gamaliel, 
but it also expressed and exposed a hole in his soul. Think of all that he seemingly had in his upbringing and status, and yet something was still missing. He had it all. He couldn't have had more than what he had. And he found what was missing in the person of Jesus Christ. When Saul submits to Christ, all of his earthly relationships change. Have you ever thought about this? He's left pretty lonely momentarily. No Christian trusted him, right? Because he had been out killing and arresting them. So he's lonely that way. And then all the Jews who had once revered him now hated him and wanted to kill him. So he's left lonely there for a minute. And he's left blind, needing help to get where he was going. It's a rough place for him to be. But listen to this. Saul is eventually led into relationships with fellow followers of Jesus because he fully submitted to Christ and his relationship with God. And the first one that we read about in this passage is Ananias. And I love this story because I, I can relate to Ananias a little bit. Ananias is a follower of Jesus. He's already entered into a life-changing relationship with God. And then he's called to go to Saul. Now, can you imagine the crisis of belief that Ananias has here? The communicator's commentary says this, the only thing that came close to matching the panic Saul felt on the road was the fear Ananias felt when the Lord appeared to the leader of the Damascus church and told him to go to the persecutor of the followers of the way, Saul of Tarsus. Ananias probably knew that he was top on Saul's list for arrest and perhaps worse. Can you imagine that? That's a tough place for Ananias to be. But when God calls Ananias, we know that he's in a relationship with God because he shows a familiarity to the voice of the Lord. God calls him and he says, yes, Lord. Saul said, who are you, Lord? Ananias knows that voice. He's in relationship with God. And so he's ready to hear what God has to say to him. And honestly, he does hesitate, right? But I think, I know I would hesitate. I don't know about you. I would hesitate in that moment. But his relationship with God ultimately leads him to trust and obey the command of the Lord and go to Saul. He's told that Saul is God's chosen instrument. And then he gets to Saul. And what's the first thing he says to Saul? Brother. Brother Saul. Can you imagine the faith that he has to have to say brother right out of the gate to the man that had been arresting and killing Christians everywhere? And he ends up in a life-changing relationship with a new fellow believer, Saul. And God uses Ananias to restore Saul's sight and to strengthen him. And this earthly relationship among two believers would never have happened if both men had not submitted fully to Christ. And I think it's really important for us as a group of believers that we call the fellowship to recognize that Ananias models for us the supportive and restorative role that the church is to play in the lives of newly converted followers of Jesus. We have a job to do for those that have just entered into a relationship with Jesus. And Ananias gives us that example. Now we could look all throughout scripture and find other examples of life-changing relationship with, with others, with other humans. Barnabas in this passage is one. At God's leading, he vouches for Saul and helps Saul become part of the apostles of Christ and, and begin to teach. And he welcomes them into that group. And then the apostles themselves, they welcome Saul in 
it's a, it's a mismatch if you look at it from the worldly perspective. But because God's in the picture, those relationships are formed. And then the other examples in Scripture, the Old Testament, Jonathan and David, their relationship was used to further God's purpose. And then the disciples in the New Testament, think about that, that crew. That was some mismatched guys right there, but they were used to further God's kingdom. Now, a personal example. Because um, I always I love Scripture, but I want you to know that I've seen this play out in my life. I was raised in a family that followed Jesus. And from the time I was born, we were, we were always looking at Scripture. My parents did all that they could to raise me the right way. And at the age of five, I came to a place where I understood that I needed a Savior because I was a sinner. And so at five, as best as I knew how, with childlike faith, I submitted my life to Jesus right there. Now, I'm not going to act like I knew everything that I know now at five because I didn't. But I knew then that I needed a Savior. And so I submitted my life to him, made him the boss of my life. Fast forward 20 years, and it's 20 years of Aaron trying to do what God's called him to do. Um, Sometimes failing, sometimes succeeding. But 20 years later, God began to work in my heart. And in 2002, he called me to leave Texas and to move to Nashville. Now, I can't tell you how big a deal that was, okay? Because number one, I'm from Texas, all right? And I'm happy to tell you how great Texas is, how we do, in fact, have the best barbecue. That's not up for discussion. We have the best Tex-Mex. That is also not up for discussion. And, you know, even the stars and the people, they're at the stars at night. They're big and bright, deep in the heart of Texas, right? I, uh, I'm one of those. I'm, I'm a Texan, tried and true. And so when God began to call me to, to Tennessee and Nashville, I did like Ananias did, and I hesitated. I said, God, are you sure? You sure you want me to go to Tennessee? I don't know anybody there. Seems like a nice place. They have these things called hills that we don't have in Texas, all right? And trees, it's it's pretty cool. But are you sure that's where I need to go? And over a period of months, God confirmed in my heart that this area, Nashville, was where I was to come. And so it was tough because all my family, all my friends, even had a girlfriend at the time, they're all in Texas. And I had to get to that moment where I was either gonna follow what God called me to do or not. And in that time, it took some time and some convincing of the Lord, but I followed him. And I came to Nashville in November of 2002 because I had a life-changing relationship with God. That's the only reason I got here. Now, life-changing relationship with others. Funny thing, God calls me here. And then as I'm moving, the week I'm moving, I get an email from a friend. Her name's April. And she says, hey, I know you're moving to Nashville, and I have a friend, her name's Kara, and uh, I think you should, you should email her and meet her. She's a nice girl. I've wanted to introduce you guys because you'll both sing, and uh, I thought y'all would be good friends. And so I hear this, and I'm like, you know what? That's nice of April. I appreciate that. And she gives me Kara's email address, and that's all I get. And so I'm, I sit down at my computer in my new apartment in Nashville, and I'm typing an email, and, and, you know, I'm like, this is weird. I'm going to reach out to a stranger, 
you know, and asked to meet her. Uh, it's a kind of stalker material if you're not real careful, right? So I write this email and I say, hey, Kara, my name's Aaron. We have a mutual friend named April. And she thought that I should get in touch with you. By the way, I'm not a stalker. Um, she said that you moved to Nashville because God told you to move to Nashville in July of 2002. And God just did the same thing in my life here in November. Oh, by the way, I'm not a stalker. April said that you go to a church and that you're a part of a singles ministry and maybe that it would be a good place for me to get plugged into. Um, so I was wondering if you might tell me where that is and if I could meet you at some point. By the way, I'm not a stalker. Um, <clears throat> I really didn't want her to think I was a stalker because uh, that's just, it was creepy to me. But she answered nicely. She said, yes, April told me about you as well. You can come to church. We have a Friday night service, and then all the singles group goes out together after that. And so I was like, cool, this is going to work out. And so I show up at the church, and I walk in the sanctuary. And I mean, just imagine it, right? You know what? Love at first sight. Y'all have heard about that, right? You're looking across the, the sanctuary, and I see her, and she sees me, the, the, the pictures that had been exchanged. You know, we kind of knew what she, she told me what she was wearing that night and all that. And I saw her, and I got closer, and... And you've heard of love at first sight, right? Well, this was not it, okay? Um, not close, okay? It wasn't close, all right? Um, she, I was trying to be a little bit like, hello, friendly, nice, but I wanted her to make sure that she knew that I had a girlfriend back in Texas, all right? And she, unbeknownst to me, also knew another person in my life that back from high school, and this person knew me in high school, and I was, um, well, I was just a different person in high school. I had, had a pretty good ego. Um, I liked to, healthy ego, that's what I like to say. I liked to date a lot and um, change that person I was dating frequently. Did not care for hearts as I should have in high school. And this person that Kara knew told her about that and said, hey, you need to watch out for this guy. He's bad news. So she's very guarded right out of the gate, okay? Now, long story short, there is no way that Kara or I would know in that moment what God's plan was for us. But because I had a life-changing relationship with God, and she had a life-changing relationship with God, and we were submitted to Him in a moment where He told us to go to a new place, that we were a little hesitant to go, but we did anyway, then the door was opened for us to have a life-changing relationship together. And that's a powerful, powerful thing. Because I would have missed it if I would not been submitted to God. And I think about all the times that I've gotten to stand on this stage and the other campus and many other places and point people to Jesus with Kara, my wife. Beautiful thing. Now, it took us some time to fall in love, obviously. Um, we had to work through some issues, but we got there. And there are four people who wouldn't exist today if we hadn't been fully submitted to God. And so I'm in awe of that. And I want you to feel the power of life-changing relationship with God first and then with others. Because what does it do? If we are submitted to God and we're willing to enter into relationship with people that maybe we never expected to, then the purpose of the church is furthered and the church is strengthened the purpose of God is carried out and that's where I want us to begin to close today the church benefited 
from these relationships in this passage that we read today. You see, the Lord so changed Saul's heart and eventually his name to Paul that his life-changing Jesus led to life-changing relationships within the church. His zeal and passion now redirected were a powerful tool in the early church. And people were breathing peace, edification, walking humbly in the Lord and the comfort of the Spirit, and the church exploded in growth. You remember we talked about zeal and passion at the beginning here, and I want to say this in addition. Zeal and passion grounded in healthy relationship and submission to God bears life-changing fruit. When we are engaged in godly, life-changing relationships, the mission of Christ is carried out and the church as a whole is strengthened, encouraged, and fulfills its purpose. But it all begins with Christ and a personal encounter with Him. So as we begin to wrap up today, I have two things I want to ask you to do. Maybe you're in this room and you've never had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And maybe there's been some interruptions in your life, some things that have stirred you up and led you to a crisis of belief. I want you to know that Jesus is calling your name. He knows you. He knows your sin. He knows everything you've ever done. And he loves you anyway. He wants to be in a relationship with you. And today, you can give your life to him and be saved. I love that Romans 10, 9 makes it super simple for us. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I want to ask you today, if you've not ever entered into a life-changing relationship with God, would you do that this morning? And then the other side of this, relationships with others. Maybe in this room there are folks that you know you're in a broken relationship, a wounded relationship maybe with even somebody that's in this room as well today. And so I want to ask you today, if, you're, if there's somebody in this room that you need to go grab and say, hey, I want to fix and mend our relationship, do that today. Think of the purposes that God could have for the relationships in your life if you just fully submit them to God. So the call is simple this morning. To Jesus, come to Him, be saved and if there's relationships that need to be fixed, fix them. As you know, on each side, we have the opportunity for you to take communion each Sunday. You can write a prayer request and leave it on the cross. Those are prayed over each week by the staff. But this is the time for response. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to stand and sing. So would you bow your heads, and let's respond to what God is saying to us.